Today is a special day for moms, as we've already noted. It is a happy Mother's Day, and today I wanted to share a word to encourage moms today, but I was trying to figure out what that word should be, and I thought maybe the wisest word to give you would actually be the word from a mom. And the scriptures are full of all kinds of wise words that have come from women throughout the years, but there is a mom named Hannah in the Old Testament that sings a beautiful song that has shaped generations of the believers and she speaks as a mom and today I believe she's going to speak to moms to give you encouragement today regardless of wherever you may find yourself this morning. So if you have your Bible join me in 1st uh, Samuel, excuse me, chapter 2 and we're going to read this song from a mother named Hannah. Beginning in verse 1, Hannah prayed and said, "My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord." My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So let's pause there, and we'll, we'll explain just a little bit of context of who on earth is singing this song. So I told you it's a mom named Hannah. And Hannah is introduced in the preceding chapter, and we learn that she's married, but she has struggled to have a child. She's been barren for all of those years. And it's broken her heart because she always wanted to be a mother, but God had not opened that door for her. And we're told that it actually was beginning to cost her, even in her own home. She's being ostracized and pushed out. And her heart is broken, but we learn that God sees her. And that's why even today, ladies, it's important for me to remind you, God sees you wherever you are at. There are some in this room who likewise have wanted to be moms, but God has not opened that door. There are some moms in this room who have lost children through tragic circumstances or through miscarriages. God sees you. Some in this room, you've lost your mom, and I want you to know God sees you as well. And he hears your prayers, and he heard Hannah's prayers in her distress, and she said, Lord, I'm begging you. If you'll just give me a child, she says, in return, I will give my child back to you. And the Lord heard that prayer, and he blessed her with a child named Samuel. And Samuel comes into this world, and we're told that Hannah is raising him, and she weans him to probably the age of about three or four years old. But then she honors her promise, and she takes that child to the temple in Shiloh under a Nazarite vow, Numbers chapter 6, and she drops him off, committing him into the Lord's service. So in chapter 2, she's just got done dropping off little Sammy, three or four years old, her firstborn child, the one she always wanted. And in verse 1, she breaks out in a song and says, I exalt the Lord. Now, some of you moms might know that feeling, dropping off your children to somebody else. Sometimes you start exalting the Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you that someone else can watch my child. But this is a different kind of scenario. Some of y'all might have been singing as you went by the nursery and dropped off your little ones on the way in here, but this was not that kind of song because she's saying goodbye in a permanent sense. It's interesting, this song, 1 Samuel chapter 2, actually shaped Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. If you study the two, there's parallels, lots of them. We studied Mary's song during Christmas, known as the Magnificat, and she's singing a song for a different reason. She's singing a song because God has given her a child, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. 
But Hannah starts singing a song because the Lord has taken her child into his service. And she starts to sing because she's dropped off this child to a temple. And it's worth noting that there at this time in Israel, the leadership is not doing very well in the temple. You will learn later in the story, there's a guy named Eli. He's the priest. He's the guy in charge. He's not a good leader. He's not spiritually discerning. And we learn he has two sons who work for him who are wicked. And here you have sweet Hannah showing up with baby Sammy. And she says, here you go, guys. Here's my boy. And take care of him. And you got to think there's got to be some worry that's in Hannah's heart right then. Sometimes we roll past that as if people in the Bible were so pious they did not have emotions. But Hannah's dropping off her firstborn only child to these men in that situation. Makes me think in modern times about when we drop off our kids to school for the first time. Obviously, I'm not a mother, but I'm married to one, and I've worked with a lot of mothers. And I remember when my two oldest at their old elementary went to kindergarten for the first day, there was a fully sanctioned event that the school actually promoted, and it was for the moms. After they dropped off their kindergartners, they could go to a gathering that was billed as a cry fest. It was for moms to come together to literally grieve, to cry, because they're dropping off their child to some people in a structured school for seven or eight hours, and that caused a lot of worry and tears in their hearts. And I'm not minimizing that at all. That's a very real emotion. I only say that to try to humanize Hannah, because here you have Hannah. She's dropping off little Samuel, but it's not for a few hours to a well-structured school. It's to some men that the Bible says are worthless and wicked, and she's saying goodbye forever. She's saying goodbye to her little one. And yet in that moment, she starts singing. And when she starts singing, she starts singing specific words. She starts saying, there's none holy like God. She says, there is no rock on this earth like God. And why on earth would a woman who probably has a lot of worry, a lot of concerns in her heart, why would she start singing about the holiness of God? It's because she's reminding herself that she's actually giving her child to God, not to those people. She's reminding herself that God's the one who has her child in his hand. And she said, there's no one like our God. He's righteous and holy and perfect and just. And she says, there's no one like our God because he's a rock. He's immovable. There may be corruption out there, but he is pure and steadfast. She says, no one is like our God. And why is she singing in this moment? It's because she's showing us a wise thing to do. She's turning her worry into worship. And today, right here in this place, I bet there's a lot of people, a lot of moms, but dads, singles, people in this room, that you've got worries on your heart. It would be wise to learn from Hannah today and take your worry and turn it into worship. The truth is, moms, there's plenty to worry about, is there not? The worry is real, and it starts at an early age. When they're little, I know many of you are worried, what are we going to feed them? Because you feel that obligation. i got to take care of him or her, and I hope I don't hurt my kid by what I give them. Then you protect them, and you childproof everything, and you hyper-childproof everything because you're trying to protect them. You're worried. Then you take them to school, and you're worried. What's the teacher going to teach them? And then you're worried. What kind of kids and friends are they going to make? Then you're worried. What influence are those kids going to bring? What if they show a screen, something that they don't even have you're worried and then the kids get older and the worry just increases 
They become teenagers and you're worried. What if they follow the wrong path? And then you're worried. What if they don't get good grades? You're worried. What if they don't get into college? Then they get into college and you're worried. What if they don't graduate? And then when they graduate, you're worried. What if they don't find a good job? And then they find a good job and you're worried. What if they don't find a good spouse? And then they find a spouse. You're worried. What if they don't have kids? And they have kids and you're worried. What if these kids aren't raised to love Jesus? And then you just get worried. What if my grandchildren will grow up and this whole country turns into a big hot mess? This is the vicious cycle of worry and anxiousness. That's why Hannah says it's much wiser to turn your worry into worship. You see, she said all these things are real, but she said what I'm going to do is I'm going to remind myself, God is my rock. I've given my children to his capable hands. He's in charge. And instead of letting that worry control her and ruin her, she says, I'm going to actually hand that worry over to the Lord and remind myself of who he is. You see, Hannah's actually in good company in the scriptures. Because we're told when worry shows up, what God's people do is they actually start to worship Jesus Christ himself in Matthew chapter 26, if you remember, he's having the last supper with his disciples. And that was a worrisome scene because he takes them up to the upper room, he washes their feet, and then he gives them some troubling news. He says, Judas, you're about to betray me. He says, Peter, you're about to deny me. And he says, the rest of y'all, y'all are about to just run like sheep and I'm gonna leave you, I'm gonna die. And they are all filled with fear. They're anxious and worried. But do you remember in Matthew 26 what Jesus did with his disciples before they went to Gethsemane? Scriptures tell us they stopped and they sang a hymn. They sang a hymn to the Lord. They took their worry and they turned it into worship. In Acts chapter 16, if you remember the Apostle Paul alongside Silas, they're in Philippi, this church that Paul started, and they're preaching the gospel, and followers are coming. But we're told one follower is this girl who's possessed by demons, and Paul gets sick of it, so he looks at that girl and he casts those demons out. But in return, you remember what happened? Paul and Silas are stripped, beaten, humiliated, and thrown in jail. And in Acts chapter 16, you have Paul and Silas sitting in a jail cell, and I've never been to jail, but if I were at jail, I'd probably be pretty worried. Yet, what is Paul and Silas doing? We're told they're caught singing a hymn. You see, Hannah's in good company. She takes that worry and she decides, I'm going to worship instead. Because when we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, what we do is we remind our soul who is in charge, who's in control. And you realize this worry can either crush me or I can actually hand it over to God who has the strength to actually hold it. Peter communicates this point in 1 Peter. We're actually told in chapter 5 to humble ourselves, therefore, verse 6, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And I don't want you to miss that, moms. It just said he cares for you. It's not just that he knows you're there, that he's listening. It's that he actively cares about you. And because he cares about you, what Peter just said is be wise enough to take that worry and throw it to him. Because if you hold it, you will not be strong enough to hold it yourself. But that's why Peter says, cast it, throw it to the Lord. 
because he cares for you and he is our rock, like Hannah said. He's strong enough to handle it. And my question for all of us in this room is what worry are you holding on to? Because it's not just a mom problem, this is a human problem. What worry is in your heart right now? If Hannah were standing up here, she'd say, cast it to the Lord and take that worry, turn it into worship and remind yourself who God is. And she tells us who he is in verse four. She says, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. So what Hannah starts doing is she's describing God and who he is. And she starts describing the sovereign power of our God. She says he's different than everybody else. She already told you he's holy. Now she's just gonna explain how he's holy. This is how he's different. She points out that he can change anybody. She says he takes people who are mighty and he breaks them, but he also takes people who are feeble and he makes them strong. She said he takes people who are full and she says she makes them broke to where they have to go back to work. She takes people, he takes people who are hungry and he fills them with food. He takes the barren and he gives them children, which Hannah would say, I understand that first. It, Hannah said that he takes the poor and he makes them rich. He takes the needy and he lifts them with princes. The idea is, is that God is sovereign over every single person on this earth. She says he has the power to do whatever he wants. We have so little control in this world. We really have no power at the end of the day. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking it, but really we are all just one bad phone call away from our lives being wrecked. But she says God has the power to do whatever he wants. He has no limitations. And the reason why is in verse eight, she said the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. She's giving this picture that God is holding up the earth. It's that song that we start teaching our children when they're little, that he's got the whole world in his hands. And Hannah's singing amidst her worry to remind herself he's got the whole world in his hands. And he can do anything he wants to do because he's in the business of changing people. And I hope you hear this lesson, what Hannah's teaching us in her song. She's reminding us, God can change anyone or anything. God can absolutely change anyone or anything. He has no limitations. The hard part in life is us coming to that conclusion. Because usually, if you're like me, you try to control things and you try to change them yourself, only to realize that you don't have the capacity to bring about life change. Makes me think of a simple story. This was years ago when our old house in Houston, I remember we had a toilet malfunction, a wonderful husband-dad duty. I had to go there and look at it, and I pull off this lid, and I'm not a rocket scientist, but it wasn't flushing. So I pull it off, and I look inside, and that toilet kit is just in shambles. It's all rusted out, big mess. Some of y'all been there before. So I decide I've got to change this kit, all of it, 
So I went to Lowe's and I spent about $20 to buy a, a simple, cheap toilet kit. And I watch a YouTube video and I come back, drain the water, and I'm starting to try to change that kit. But then I realized I'm not very good at changing things because I was trying and it wasn't working right and I was getting frustrated because I had all the parts and I thought I had a plan, but it wasn't functioning. So eventually I humbled myself and I called a plumber and he showed up and I had to pay him $100. But when he showed up, not only did he change it, but I watched him change it in about 60 seconds. And then I felt fully emasculated and felt like I was not very much of a man anymore. And I started to feel a little bit horrible, but then I reminded myself the reason why he could do it so easily was that was his business. He's in the business of changing those things. That's who he is. And church, can I just remind you, God is in the business of changing things. That's who he is. And sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking we can change everything. We can control anything. I can change my spouse. I'll just nag them until finally they behave right. I'll change my kids and I will hover over them and helicopter them or I'll lawnmower parent and just remove all obstacles that will change them. I can change my vices, my sins, my struggles. I can control that problem that's devastating my home. And can I just tell you in love, you can't change any of it, any of it. You don't have the power. But the good news is God is in the business of change. He can change anyone or anything, but you first have to humble yourself and call upon his name. Are you spinning right now in circles, trying to do something you don't have the capacity to do? The wiser move is to recognize what Hannah has already recognized. He's holy. There's no one like him and turn to God because he can change anyone or anything. But then she reminds us of what it will look like if you do turn to God. She says in verse nine, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, that the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. So she says, if you will turn your worry into worship, if you'll call upon the Lord and ask him to change you because he's powerful enough to do it, she says, then what will happen is he will guard your feet. She said, he guards the feet of the faithful ones. That's why we're told in Proverbs chapter three to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God walks through life with his people. In Philippians 1, 6, we're told he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. He's faithful to guard your steps. He doesn't ever leave you. That's why Hannah says, oh, it's so much wiser just to go to him because he will guard your steps. He'll walk with you through this life. But then she gives the other side of the presentation. She said, for others, the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. You see, there's many people that won't call upon the rock. Instead, they try to do it themselves. And she just said, they will be cut off walking in darkness. And the world is filled with people walking through darkness, lost, looking for purpose and hope and peace. And the light of the world's just screaming, just follow me, 
Just follow me. Follow me and I'll actually guide your steps. I'll walk with you and I will walk through all those things you're facing. He is faithful to those and he guards their feet. But then she gives this picture that is the root of her confidence at the end of the passage and I hope you didn't miss this. She said, he, the Lord, in verse 10, will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. This is an interesting verse if you know the context because Hannah's saying she has such confidence in God. He's gonna guard them and lead them through the leadership of a king and he will give the king strength. But if you know the context of the passage, there is no king. There's no king. Israel had no king when she's singing that song. In fact, Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse six, he was promised kings would come through his lineage. That's why Jacob told Judah one day, you're gonna become a royal lineage. But there's no king running around Israel at that time. But she says, oh, there's a king who's coming. She says, there's a king coming and he's gonna receive strength. You see, she knew the promises of God. And she said, God's gonna hold true to his word and there's gonna be a king and he will be strengthened by the Lord. And she said, if you heard it, that he will exalt the power of his anointed. And wouldn't you believe it, Hannah's boy that she's dropping off, little preschool Sammy, one day will become Samuel. And Samuel will anoint the king, David. And God will give him power and David will build this dynasty within Israel. But there is a dual meaning to this passage. Because yes, God gave strength to that king and Samuel anointed him, but King David ultimately started a lineage that led to King Jesus, the king of kings. And if you study that word, that phrase, his anointed, you know how it also can be translated? His Messiah. Jesus is his Messiah, the anointed one. And she says, I can trust God because the king is coming. And he's going to receive strength and he will lead God's people. And what she's telling you today is this final point. The king is worthy of your trust. He's worthy of it. She says the king is on the way and you can trust in him. He will guard your feet. He will light up your path and he will lead you. So take that worry and turn it into worship for the king. She says, life is so much better when you don't just try to navigate through it on your own. Instead, you surrender to the Lord and you stand on that solid ground. Years ago, excuse me, not years ago, you're about a year and a half ago, I went to Africa. Some of y'all were around and you remember when that happened. But I went to Kenya with a group of pastors about a year and a half ago. And we got on a plane and we went to Nairobi's where we landed, big airport, big plane. And I do good on big planes. That's not the end of the world. And I got there, it was fine, it was safe, everything's good. But then after we landed in Nairobi, we went from a big plane to a little plane. And that little plane had to take us from Nairobi out to the bush in the middle of nowhere. And I saw that plane that we were expected to get on next, and it held about eight people or so on that plane. And I don't know if you've ever been on those kind of planes, but I saw that plane and I said, that's a plane I don't wanna go on. That's not for me. I like the big planes, the little planes, I don't know about it, but I realized that plane's leaving and I have no choice, so I got on the plane. And I got on the plane, eventually we started flying. I remember looking over Africa, over Kenya, it's beautiful, just seeing the beautiful land, the serene land, it's just gorgeous. And I was thinking, this little plane's not so bad, this was a great choice. 
until the plane started to go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, for about 40 minutes straight. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And guys, I get like car sick, like in the back seat of a normal car in Austin, Texas. And it's just going up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. I just started praying, Lord, get me off this plane. Lord, get me off this plane. And for about 40 minutes, up, down, up, down, up, down, went through the circus until finally that plane lands. And when that plane landed, when I got off and I put my feet on rock, on solid ground, it's amazing how the world stopped moving, slowed down, because I was standing on something solid. I wasn't just going up and down. Finally, I'd found a rock that could actually hold up my weight. And if you've been going through life, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, you can try it that way. You can keep doing it your way, or you can get off the crazy plane and get back on solid ground. Because when you come to the rock, Peter calls Jesus in 1 Peter chapter 2 our cornerstone. When you come to King Jesus and you say, Lord, I want to stand on that solid ground, you start singing like Hannah. Because then you start singing, there's no one like our God. And he is good. And I can trust him. And I can take that worry and I can turn it into worship because my God is immovable, unshakable, and I'm standing on solid ground. What worry do you need to give over to the Lord? Because there's a solid place for you to stand on today.